We are on a 16-week journey through the book of Romans. Today we find ourselves in the fourth chapter. If you would like to read along, you will find Romans 4 on page 916 in one of the Bibles under one of the chairs in front of you. I invite you to turn to Romans 4, hold your place. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Romans is Paul's masterpiece. It offers a breathtaking and spiritual vision. Typically, Paul wrote his letters in follow-up after he had visited a congregation, a group of people, or, um, or a particular person. But here in Romans, Paul writes in preparation. He writes to Christians he has never met, although he hopes to do so soon, but he keeps getting delayed. Every year I gather with my company of pastors. You have heard me share a few stories about this particular group, a group of men and women that I have been meeting with for 11 years now. Several years ago, one of the guys in the group, Rich, he had us do the following exercise as we were pulling together, gathering together after a full year apart from one another. Here's what he had us do. He asked us to identify our Mount Rushmore for. He asked, who has most significantly shaped your life, shaped your faith, and shaped your morals? Some of you did this exercise with me before. I invite you to consider this as I share about Mount Rushmore 4 as, as you think about your own faith and your own journey. Here were the, the four categories that he gave to us. The first being a family member. The second being a non-family member. The third being some, something broad that might not be person-specific. Maybe it's art, maybe it's music, maybe it's an institution or perhaps some sort of camp or conference center. And finally, the fourth one is, is wide open and optional. Identify your Mount Rushmore for. Think about that. And if you do it, I invite you to share what you come up with with someone else. And perhaps it's an opportunity to say thank you to someone who's still living too. Who are the people who have helped you? The ones who built your confidence and hope. Who are the ones who, if it weren't for them, you would never have made it? How has God used others to uniquely shape you? If you're like me, it will be difficult to identify just four. I really need a, a Mount Rushmore 40. But briefly, here is my Mount Rushmore 4. The first being a family member, my grandmother, whose example of Faith deeply impacted me during my childhood and young adult years, a, a woman who had to keep the faith and did keep the faith during numerous, numerous trials and, um, and difficulties. The second, a non-family member, for me is Ron and Marge Bledsoe. I call them my spiritual parents. They live in Huntsville, Alabama. They're the parents of my college roommate, Vicki, and they opened me into their hearts and into their lives during my young adult years and have their handprints all over my life. The third might be a non-person. I'm kind of cheating a little bit on this one. This, 
This could be a place, and for me it's Huntsville, Alabama, in particular a, a congregation there, the most forming event for my understanding of church in my 20s and 30s came from a particular church in Huntsville, Alabama. The fourth, being wide open, again, I'm, I'm fudging a little bit here because I'm putting two people side by side. Eugene Peterson and Henry Nowen, a Presbyterian pastor and a deceased Catholic priest whose writings have deeply shaped me. People, living and deceased, who continue to speak to me because of their example of faith. Paul ends Romans 3 with the question, is God the God of the Jews only? Now he answers the question by examining the faith of one who has impacted many, the father of us all. Let's step now into Romans chapter 4 and allow God's word to speak to us. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Verse 16. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. This we pray. Amen. When in Romans, consider Abraham would encourage you as, as we think about Abraham for a little bit, friends, to, to hold before the Lord, to hold before yourself, your own faith as we consider Abraham. Who is someone you admire who has a lot of faith? 
And in what situation do you have a hard time having faith? Perhaps it's when you fly, perhaps it's when you learn you need some sort of surgical procedure. Maybe it's when you're teaching someone how to drive a car. <laughs> or when you engage in public speaking. When are the times when you really struggle to have faith? Paul says that it is by faith that a person embarks upon the Christian, uh, the Christian life. It begins only through faith, faith itself being a manifestation of the grace of God, although human activity is involved. With everything hinging on faith, it is no surprise that Paul turns to the faith of Abraham. It's brilliant for him to do so, so that there would be no confusion in the people's minds as to what constitutes faith. If ancient Israel had a Mount Rushmore, Abraham's face would be on it. Let's be reminded of some of Abraham's story. You can find this in the book of Genesis if you would like to later today or later in this week be reminded of some of Abraham's story. The nation of Israel began when God promised Israel's ancestor, Abraham, that God would make his descendants into a great nation living in a God-given land blessed by God. Paul claims that Abraham is an exemplar for us because God counted him as righteous, not because of his obedience to the law, but because of his faith in God. After all, if obedience to the Lord were the path to right relationship with God, what would be the use of faith? The promise that God, about 100 years old, would be the father of many nations signifies God's amazing power to do the impossible. In Abraham, God undertakes a new beginning, calling Abraham out of his familiar surroundings to begin a pilgrimage founded on trust. This is faith. Faith is not being sure where you are going, but going anyways. It's a journey without maps. Paul says that Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. He exhibits incredible trust in God when it seems that everything is hopeless. He obeys God when he prepares, unbelievably so, to sacrifice his son Isaac in response to the divine command. Paul links Abraham's faith, faith with hope, hope being something really important to the Apostle Paul and draws attention to the fact that Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead as respect to having a child when they received the promise of God. Hope is often linked with faith. It is distinguished from secular optimism or positivity that is grounded in what God has done in Christ. We can learn so very much from Abraham our father in the faith. He stands as a great example of faith in the New Testament. He's talked about not only here in Romans, but also in Acts and in Galatians and also in the book of Hebrews. We learn from him the kind of faith that we can have now through Christ, which is open to all, both Jew and Gentile. Abraham's life reminds us of what real faith can look like. 
But if you know Abraham's story, you know his faith was not always impressive. He questioned God about God's promises. He pretends Sarah is not his wife twice, putting God's promise at risk by claiming that his wife was his sister in order to save his own skin. He tried to bring about God's promise of a child to fulfillment himself, which is what we can be prone to do, isn't it? To try to make something happen in our own way. Abraham decided he was tired of waiting. The wait had been too long. And so he tries to make the promise come true by sleeping with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, which brought a lot of complications. Thirteen years later, God tells Abraham that Sarah will bear him a child. What is Abraham's response? He falls on his face in laughter. When God told him that he and his wife would have a child together in their old age. But friends, hear this. God came to Abraham in such a way that there was still room for doubt. I'd like to invite us to sit with the notion of doubt for a moment. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is unbelieving. Faith and doubt can coexist. This is really important to understand because we all live with both believing and doubting within us at times. We see this in Abraham. Doubt is honest. And constructive doubt can lead to faith. The 19th century theologian Soren Kierkegaard suggests that for one to truly believe in God, one would also have to have times of doubting one's belief. For doubt is a rational part of us that weighs evidence, that searches for truth and life so that a person's belief eventually has real substance. Doubt as a path toward deeper belief lies at the heart of the story of Thomas in the New Testament, who needed to touch and to, to feel, to see the resurrected Jesus in order to believe. He acts like a person from Missouri, the show me state. Faith for him is more daunting. Thomas provides a template for all subsequent disciples like us who don't get the experience of actually seeing and touching a physically resurrected Jesus and who are challenged to believe. But there is a danger in doubt. You can be overcome with doubt. The root meaning of doubt is two or double. It's the idea of being double-minded. To doubt is to be of two minds. There is a Chinese expression that likens doubt to having one foot in two boats. There is nothing wrong with honest doubt and to wrestle, examine, search, and question, but you don't want to camp there forever. Eventually, we will have to declare our allegiance and we'll have to choose which boat we are going to stand in, which involves a leap of faith. 
John Ortberg writes, disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and they worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and they help each other with their doubts. They doubt and they practice faithfulness. They doubt and they wait for their doubt to one day be turned to knowing. Abraham knows both doubt and trust. So friends, why does Paul speak as though Abraham never entertained the faintest doubt about God and God's promises? Is Paul simply viewing the past through rose-colored glasses? Some of us can be prone to do that, can't we? Perhaps, but the Apostle Paul is not usually known for sentimentality. Maybe Paul is looking at Abraham's faith from a different angle. Perhaps Paul sees Abraham's faith as strong and unwavering, not because he never doubts, not because he never tries to take matters into his own hands, but because Abraham actually trusts in God's promises enough to take risks and to step out in faith. How might God be asking you to do the same? And how might God be asking us, Covenant Church, to do the same? To trust God enough to take risks and to step out in faith. At 75 years of age, when most people are enjoying retirement, Abraham hears God's call and leaves behind family, friends, and a lot of security to obey God's call to go to a land unseen. But here is what is key about faith that Abraham helps us to understand. Abraham helps us to see that it is the object of faith that really matters. It is the object of faith that really matters, not just having faith in and of itself. One writer notes that some people who had strong faith in thin ice never lived to tell the tale, but died by faith. <laughs> Others who had weak faith in thick ice were as safe as if they had stood on concrete. The object of our faith matters. Abraham's faith is not exemplary because of its strength or lack of it, but because its object is God. Abraham's hope was rooted in God. The hero of this story and all of our stories is not Abraham. It is not ourselves, but rather the living God of the universe and the hope of this world. What God, the God who created all things, the God who brings life out of death. Abraham's old body and Sarah's old womb are pointing to a son, to Jesus, the object of our faith. Abraham put his faith in the right God, and sometimes this means putting just a little bit of faith in a big God. This is why Jesus says all you need is a mustard seed size of faith. Why? because it is not about the size of your faith, but rather about the size of your God. Friends, this is how we live by faith, not worrying about whether or not we have enough faith, 
and not worrying or focusing on the quality of our faith, but rather focusing on the object of our faith, Jesus the Christ, the one who gives life and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It is okay to be confused and bewildered sometime. Abraham's obedience was not always perfect. His trust wavered. But his faith was never extinguished. He hung on to God's promises even in his failings and as he did, he was strengthened in his faith. Brothers and sisters, may this be our legacy as well, that we will all be faithful to the one who is first faithful to us. In all of God's people, together we say, amen. amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving God, how grateful we are for the heroes of faith, ancient and recent. Ones we have not yet met and those we shared life intimately with. And most of all, creator of heaven and earth, hope of this world, we thank you for Jesus. God, we pray for one another that we would have good memories in order that our faith might grow as we remember your faithfulness to us and to our families and to this church and to all creation. God, we pray together this very day that the spirit of the living God that you will fall afresh on us, your church. May there be a fresh wind of the Spirit among us, infuse us with hope, infuse us with faith, send us from this place changed and refreshed and renewed. We pray this for one another in the name of Jesus, amen.